0: good morning everyone it's wonderful to see you here today uh, at the vista if we haven't met before my name is austin Uh, i get to serve as one of our lead pastors If you're joining us for the first time Maybe first time in a long time. We're just so glad to have you. We hope that you feel loved, welcomed, and wanted, that you fit right in and make yourself at home, whether or not it's your very first time, maybe your very first time ever in a church. We just hope that you make yourself home here today. Uh, today, we are in the last week of our series called How to Be, a series where we've been talking through how to do some things that are important for Christians to know how to do and hopefully, you know, know how to do pretty well. Uh, thus far, we've covered how to share your faith, how to stay married how to hear God's voice, how to pray, how to doubt and still believe, how to repent. And then today we will wrap the series up by discussing how to age well, preferably. And that last word is very important. So do any of the rest of you like to use gifts when you text? You people like to use GIFs in here. GIF. I know there's a bit of a debate on pronunciation of GIF. I land on the hard G, GIF, not GIF. It sounds funny to me. I, I, I do too. Let's get that first one up there if we could. I, I can't resist a good GIF. You know what I mean? Like I just, I, I feel so fun and, and clever and cool when I use GIFs. I mean, like when my wife texts me about something, you know, reminding me about something that I really don't want to do, and I'm able to respond with that GIF of Homer Simpson disappearing backwards into the bushes, I mean, come on. This is like the height of human communication. I don't care what anybody says, and so I want you to imagine my surprise about a year ago when I discovered, to my complete horror, that gifts were no longer cool. Did any of you know about this? It's very sad. Yeah, I, I had to read a whole article about it just in order to believe it. The title of the article was, I believe, uh, sorry, Boomer. Uh, yeah, gifts are for boomers now. Sorry. It was written by some twerpy Gen Z journalist. And I was, I was so crestfallen and humiliated and sad. You know, here I have been firing off gifts like an old man, like a boomer, thinking I was so cool. It's painful to realize that you're aging because when you wake up in the morning and you hurt and you don't know what happened, (laughs) what happened is you got older, right? That's, that's what happened. Amen. Now you will notice that the title of this sermon is not how to age because nobody needs any help with that because contrary to what Tom Brady and Dolly Parton might've led you to believe, aging is in fact inevitable. In fact, it's pretty well established at this point that the maximum possible age that a human body can reach is around 125 years old. That's, that's about all we can get out of this thing. In fact, the oldest verified person to ever live was a French woman named Jean Calment, and she lived to be, any, any guesses? Person who gets it right gets Botox, I'm just kidding. <laughs> First ever, someone said, 133, and I said, you are old and not listening. I told you 125 is the maximum range. Uh, 122. She lived to be 122 years old. Yeah. And, and if you're wondering what sort of like life and health span secrets you might discover from her incredible longevity, she, she shared when asked that she consumed lots of olive oil and red wine. She ate two pounds of chocolate every single week. She never exercised and she smoked cigarettes from the age of 21 to 117 years old, y'all. That's her at 117. Taking that last drag, you know. I just want to know why she quit? Like, I mean, got 97 years out of that and you quit? That could have been your secret. Like Samson cutting his hair. I don't know. Anyways, aging is inevitable, but it is tempting to tell yourself that it's an inevitability that you will put off indefinitely. Case in point, when asked how old you have to be in order to be old, you know, like how old is old, the most common answer among Americans was 85 years old. Well, you would say 85 years old is old. Meanwhile, the average age of death in America is 77 years old. So according to us geniuses, the average American dies eight years before reaching old age. Um, and so to review what we've covered so far, gifts apparently no longer cool, which is very sad. Um, and aging is inevitable, which means that we don't need to know how to age, but how to age well and I I usually don't do this because one of my greatest pet peeves in a sermon is when somebody talks to you about what they're about to talk to you about you know what I'm talking about it's the word just tell us about it you don't have to talk to us about what you're going to talk to just tell us about it. but seeing as how we're all getting older by the minute I want to make sure nobody gets lost here today as we talk about aging so I'm going to talk to you about what I'm going to talk to you about it's three biblical tips principles on how to age well okay here they are preview them for you so you don't get lost number one know when you are you know it's important to know where you are but you need to know when you are Number two, know how to be when you are. Tip number three, remember that righteousness ages well. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. Start out here in Psalm 90, verses one through 12, I believe. Yeah, Psalm 91 through 12, it'll be on the screen for you as well if you would like to read along. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You turn man back into dust and you say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. You've swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep in the morning. They're like grass, which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew toward evening. It fades and it withers away. For we've been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days have declined in your fury have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, well, you know, they contain 70 years or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. Soon it's gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due to you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. It's psalm 91 through 12. So this psalm is, is a mix of complaint and petition. It goes back and forth. And the complaint is not that our lives are so short. Because while the psalmist certainly does note life's brevity, uh, ancient people were much more accepting of life's brevity than we modern people who have somehow come to be entitled to this notion that we all deserve to be here for a long and very easy and comfortable time. I don't know why we think that, but that is what we tend to think. Ancient people didn't think that way. And so rather than complaining that our time is too brief, the complaint is that our time is too brief for God to be so mad at us during the very brief time that we get. Makes sense? And so the psalmist, on behalf of Israel, is complaining, is going, God, We're not here for very long, and so all the wrath seems just like a little over the tile. Maybe we could dial the wrath down from a 9 to like, I don't know, like a 3.5 seems reasonable. Um, And then the complaint is followed by a few different petitions, but the one I want to focus on this morning is found in verse 12. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Which, of course, begs the question, how exactly does numbering our days make us wise what is it about numbering our days that can make us wise well you could take the um, the like doomsday clock interpretation where knowing how many days you got left where you were at in the countdown helps you to live the days that you have left better and there's probably some truth to that that's the last gift i promise i just want to make sure we're not giving up on them. Um, but i think the better interpretation probably evokes this idea of seasonality okay that That numbering our days is less a matter of knowing how many days you have left, and it's more a matter of knowing when you are in your life, a matter of knowing what season of life that you're in. Because just like nature itself, our lives have seasons, and it is impossible for you to live wisely if you don't understand what season you are, in fact, in. Any of you ever heard of uh, something called chronometria? Any big nerds in here? Want to out yourselves? So it's a it's a real medical condition that results in an inability to keep time. People who have it literally are just missing that internal clock that all the rest of us have. And so to them, an hour feels like a minute, a minute feels like an hour. You can imagine how disorienting that would be. I have informally diagnosed my wife with this. Um I'm gonna get in so much trouble for this, but it needs to be said, okay? But it's selective. She only has it when it comes to our boys' sporting events. Anything else, she's never not been on time for work her entire life. But when it comes to one of our boys' games, y'all, just forget about it. We had to start taking different cars to games just so we could stay married. Like, do you know how many baseball games I have been to at Heritage Park in Belton? How many basketball games we have been to at Ralph Wilson Youth Club in Temple? It's hundreds, hundreds of games, maybe thousands. And so I couldn't not know that it takes 17 minutes to get out my front door onto the Heritage Park baseball fields if I tried. I could not not know that. And I could not not know that it takes 21 minutes to get out our front door inside the Ralph Wilson Youth Club gym if I tried. But for my wife, it is a guess every single time, right? It's like, so they have 45 seconds to get there. No, it takes 21 minutes, just like it has all other 645 times we have gone there. Some of you husbands laughing, you're about to get in trouble. Paul Stringfell, you're gonna be in trouble. You're laughing too hard. Now... To be fair, I also have selective disochronometria, but only when it comes to, uh, well, anyways. Anyways, you need to know when you are in life because faithfulness looks different in different seasons. And so think about it and ask others, preferably those who are a little bit older than you, to help you think about, to figure out which season that you're in. And as a general rule of thumb, whatever season that you think you're in, you're probably in the next one, okay? That's just a good, helpful way to think about it. This is an inside joke about Jordan wearing pink swimsuit to lead worship during night of worship. Um, got to know when you are, man. Um, <laughs> so that's aging tip number one. You got to know when you are, which brings to tip number two. You got to know how to be when you are. Know when to hang up the pink okay ecclesiastes 3 we're gonna read verses 1 through 11 now this is a classic text you're gonna know it as soon as i read it it'll be here on the screen for you says there's a time appointed for everything and there's a time for every event under heaven A time to give birth a time to die a time to plant a time to uproot what's planted a time to kill and a time to heal a time to tear down a time to build up a time to weep a time to laugh a time to mourn A time to dance, a time to throw stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to shun, embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear apart, a time to sew together, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves." He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that no man will not find out, so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Okay, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11. Now, you remember these verses, right? It's iconic and very beloved text. Even though, uh, if you noticed, it's not a very happy text, is it? (laughs) It's like really depressing in a lot of ways. Um, There are different frames we could put on it, but it seems most accurate to say that the writer, traditionally understood to be Solomon, is just talking about all of the things that happen over the course of a human life and then challenging us to accept it. To accept all of it. And that is easier said than done because there are so many things in life that we want to resist instead of accept. And that's understandable. So many of the things that happen to us in life are not good. And so it makes sense that we would want to resist them. But here's the point, okay? And here's Solomon's uh, summary here. You can resist these things all you want. You can resist them with all the ferocity that you can muster. But they're still happening, Because reality does not consult with you before imposing itself upon you, now does it? Any of you get the the courtesy of reality knocking and consulting with you before it imposes something on you? No. So look, you may not like that there's a time to die, a time to uproot, a time to give up, a time to hate. It's what Solomon says. But reality doesn't care what you do or don't like. And so there is a sense in which wise people make a habit of accepting things even things they don't like because it is stupid to work against the grain of reality there's a lot more that we could say here we did a series on Ecclesiastes about a year ago Um, but this morning let's focus in on the inevitability of life seasonality and how wise people make a habit of living with the grain of their season and not against it not because everything in life is beautiful it's not But because God has ordered our lives in such a way that even ugly things are in service to the overall beauty and appropriateness of our lives. That's the point of Solomon's summary verse here in uh, verse 11. He says, God has made everything appropriate in its time. Now, I am an aspiring grown-up. I know some of you have caught on to that, Um, Over the years, I've come to believe that one of the greatest sources of unnecessary pain and angst in our lives is not knowing how to live when you are, is not knowing how to live in sync with your season. I know a lot of you knew and loved Gary DeSalvo, longtime pastor at Temple Bible Church. Uh, He was a great man. I I remember how nervous I was the first time I met him. him. He died, I guess, about four or five years ago. I was so nervous because Gary was like the unofficial bishop of Bell County. You know what I mean? Like, he was like the biggest deal. I was so intimidated to meet him. Uh, And I'll never forget how just kind and welcoming he was to me. Anyways, over the years, I kept bumping into guys who Gary... Had mentored Gary's probably mentored some of you here, in here today. He seemingly had mentored every single guy I met. He would do this thing where he'd take a cohort of guys, he would disciple them for a season, he'd release them back out into the wild, then he'd get like a new cohort of guys. It was like Gary's, you know, uh, discipleship farm system here in Bell County or something like that. So anyways, here I am, I'm this young pastor and I'm trying to prove myself. And I'm looking at all these guys who Gary had mentored. It's amazing. And then I'm, I'm looking at my calendar, which was filled to the brim of like this, meetings and kids logistics and picks ups and lunches and practices. And my wife's work schedule, she's working full time and I'm looking at these two things and I'm like, how in the world does he do both of these things? How could he mentor half of the people in Bell County and stay married and have children who do not hate him? What's he doing that I'm not doing? What does he got that I don't got? I couldn't understand it. And one of the last times I talked to Gary, I finally mustered up the courage uh, to to ask him about this. And I said, Gary, just just help me out. Like, how do you do all this? Because I just, I don't see how it can be done. He said, well, Austin, you've got two little boys, right? I said, yeah, the boys were like five and two at the time. He said, well, man, you need to understand that those two little boys are the only two men that you really need to worry about mentoring right now. That's the best thing that you could do for Bell County. It's mentor those two little boys. Well, because there'll be a time and there'll be a season for the rest of it. But that time and season, it's not now. So embrace the season that you're in because it's sweet and it goes by really, really, really fast. Y'all, I cannot describe the burden I felt lifted off my shoulders in that moment. And I bet it makes Gary happy to know he's still preaching and mentoring from the grave, he would have it no other way. Um, There's a wonderful German word called uh, Eigenzeit. Isn't that fun? Germans do have the best words, Eigenzeit, And it refers to the time inherent to a process. And so the idea is that certain things just take the time that they take. It takes a baby, nine months to form in the womb. And so given that, instead of that being a constant source of frustration for you, You have to learn to let things take the time that they take. Because good wine, it takes a few years to make. It just does. And so you standing there staring at those grapes with your stopwatch? huffing and puffing about how long everything is taking, it's not going to speed things up. Yet that's how so many of us live our lives. We just walk around huffing and puffing with our stuff. We're so mad that nothing is on our time schedule. And we are probably worse about this than our ancestors because we modern people are much more delusional about how much life we can fit into our lives. We are just stupid about this. Because most people who have ever lived lived under the assumption that they would basically miss out on everything. Because they would spend the entirety of their lives doing the same few same things every single day in the same few square miles they would inhabit surrounded by the same 10 people who are the only 10 people who they would know for their entire lives. That's how many people most people knew for most of human history. Like 10 people, that's all they knew. But we modern people, we feel as though we have lived these horrendously repressed and sheltered lives. If we are forced to settle for anything less than everything, everywhere, all the time, all at once, it's just too much to bear. I'm not gonna see the whole world. Oliver Berkman wrote a great book about this uh, called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. 4,000 weeks is the average human lifespan. And uh, he does a great job documenting how we're all so smitten with FOMO and YOLO that we have set ourselves up to be chronically disappointed with our lives because we live with ridiculously inflated expectations about how much life we need to fit into our lives in order to live a good life. Because it is a very fine line, y'all, between optimism and immaturity. A very fine line between idealism and stupidness. Listen to what he says. The received modern wisdom articulated in a thousand inspirational Instagram memes is that it's always a crime to settle. But the modern wisdom is wrong. You should definitely settle. Or to be more precise, you don't have a choice. You will settle. And this fact ought to please you because living life to the fullest requires settling. Because when you can no longer turn back, anxiety falls away. Because now there's only one direction to travel forward and to the consequences of your choice. I realize that a lot of you will not want to agree with this, but I think it's really likely that you are wrong and you should chew on that a little bit more. Everybody settles. So just make sure that you settle for the right things. I'll quit belaboring the point because you get it. There's a season for everything, so accept your season and live in sync with it. But now, I do want to offer a little more guidance on this uh, specific journey that a healthy acceptance of our aging tends to take us on. Because the gifts of, of youth are pretty clear, you know? Energy, enthusiasm, creativity, vivacity. But what exactly are the gifts of aging? Well, Scripture actually talks about this a lot. We'll just look at a couple of texts here that are indicative of Scripture's overall message. They're both in Proverbs. Ladies, I think you're all going through Proverbs in, in Bible study right now. This should sound familiar. Proverbs 20, verse 29. The glory of young men is their strength, and the honor of old men is their gray hair. Seems like that verse was written by a young man, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like, young men are strong. Old men, well, what do we got for old men? Oh, they have gray hair. Yeah, they have gray hair. Psalm 23, verses 22 through 23. Listen to your father who begot you. I use this for my kids all the time when so they're acting up. I begot you, boy. I begot you. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Other the grandmothers say, Amen. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. I think it's probably pretty intuitive, but let's tease out what these proverbs are saying about the gifts of aging, using the work of two guys, smart guys, who have the same last name, even though they're actually not related. Uh, The first is Arthur Brooks. He teaches a, a class on happiness at Harvard Business School. Interesting deal. He recently wrote a book called From Strength to Strength. It's a book about aging and aging well. The most powerful observation in the book, in my opinion, is something that he says about the two Intelligences. He calls them fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence. The premise is really simple. Uh, When we're younger, we have lots of fluid intelligence, meaning raw and creative smarts. Our brains are just wired that way. Uh, This is why the overwhelming majority of inventors and Nobel Prize winners are actually in their 20s and 30s. And there are basically no big inventors or Nobel Prize winners who have ever been in their 50s. So if you were thinking you can have that big breakthrough and you're over 35. Sorry about you, right? Your brain, your brain just doesn't work that way anymore. Literally, it does not work that way. And so we start out with a lot of fluid intelligence, but then we gradually lose a lot of that fluidity as we age. There are biological factors at work. And this brings us to crystallized intelligence, meaning the ability to better recognize patterns, right? Crystallized, using that stockpile of knowledge that we have accumulated over the years, right? And that makes sense because if you have seen more things, then hopefully you would become better at recognizing patterns. That's what patterns are. Um, And so whereas fluid intelligence peaks in our 30s, maybe early 40s, this crystallized intelligence, it really doesn't even start to kick into gear until our 40s. And then it can peak in our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Here's how Brooks puts it. He says, when you're young, you have raw smarts. When you're old, you have wisdom. When you're young, you can generate lots of facts. When you're old, you know what they mean and how to use them. And so as we've just seen, scripture says the exact same thing. Aging well is about becoming an elder and not just becoming older. Because everybody gets older. You don't have any say in that. But not everybody becomes an elder as they get older. This is why the term elder is used as a shorthand in scripture, not just referred to an old person, but a person of wisdom, compassion, understanding. And that brings us to a book written by David Brooks, no relation, called The Second Mountain, another wonderful book. I love the metaphor at the heart of this book. You'll get it very quickly. As he says that we spend the first half of our life trying to climb that first mountain, which is achievement, status, success, all those things we're aiming at when we're a little bit younger. And so some of us, we reach the peak of that first mountain and we get up there to the summit and we look around and we think to ourselves, oh, this is it? <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought it'd be a little more satisfying than this. I thought the view would be better. I thought there would be more people here. It's actually very lonely up here. And then some of us, uh, we, we fall off the first mountain for whatever reason. We never quite achieve what we thought we wanted to achieve. But whether we conquered or fell off our first mountain, we have this realization that actually this first mountain, it isn't our ultimate destination. We realize that beyond it, there's this second mountain out there which we're really made for. Here's how he puts it. He says, the first mountain is about building up the ego and defining the self. The second mountain is about shedding the ego and losing the self. The first mountain is about acquisition. The second mountain is about contribution. The first mountain is moving up. The second mountain is planting yourself amid those who need and walking arm in arm with them. You conquer your first mountain. You are conquered by your second mountain. And so if you're like me, Man, and you spend a lot of your time and energy just hustling, hustling up that first mountain. Ah, Remember, there's a bigger and better mountain out there beyond that one. It's the mountain you were made for. It's better for you. It's better for others. It's your ultimate destination. Which brings us to our last tip. Remember that righteousness ages well. This last psalm says it about as well as it can be said, so I'm just gonna leave the last word here to scripture. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, like a central Texas live oak. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay so fresh and so green, green. Proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He's my rock. There is no wickedness in him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we are grateful to be here today. We are here because and only because a good and gracious God has decided to host us for another day. We come before you old friends, new friends, and God, we pray that you would help us to number our days, to know when we are in life. we got people all across the spectrum, newborn babies, God, people who don't have long left. And we pray that you would help each of us to understand our season and to embrace it. Embrace its challenges, its blessings, its gifts, its opportunities. I pray for, you know, whatever. Uh, God, the young family so stressed out that their house is never clean and just overwhelmed and exhausted. And God, just pray that you would help them to surrender to the sweetness of that season that they would realize they have nothing better to do than to love these little creatures created in your image. God, we pray for those who... Uh, whatever, in a season of singleness. Could be a season, could be a lifetime. Maybe they're frustrated by it. Maybe they're, they're trying to jump to the next season. Help them to embrace the season that they're in. God, for those who are older here today who wonder if, you know, it's all kind of passed them by, if they have any youth anymore in a very youth-obsessed culture, wonder what gifts they have to bring, I pray that you would help them to become the biblical sense of the term elders as they get older, people of wisdom, humility, and compassion second Mountain people who remind us that that's what we're all here for, that's what we're all made for. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.